Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, thank you very much. It's lovely to see so many of you here. Do you want to start with the good news or the bad news? The good news, all right, the good news is that the World Economic Forum predicts that gender pay gap is on track to close. Yay! The bad news is it's not for another 169 years. That's true. So if anyone's wondering why we're here today, that's one of the reasons why we're here. If you've come along to debate whether feminism is a good thing or a bad thing, you're probably going to be disappointed tonight. We're not debating the merits of feminism, just as we're not debating the merits of civil rights. What we're going to do, we hope, is to discuss what equality looks like, how it feels, what it makes us re-examine, and what has held it back. Do we need laws to change first? Do we need culture to change laws? Do we need men to back the movement, or is it something that women should be doing by themselves? Does feminism mean promoting women, or does it just mean equality? So here we are. Feminism for everyone is what we're going with, and this is our pretty stellar lineup here. Catherine Mayers, the president and CEO, co-founder, I should say, of the Women's Equality Party, an attack of uh, the 50-foot woman is her latest book. Jess Phillips, the Labour MP for Birmingham Yardley, author of Every Woman, One Woman's Truth About Speaking the Truth. June Erica Dory, activist and author, FGM campaigner, who got feminism added to the A-level politics curriculum. And David Baddiel, Fame, not the musical fame. My family, not the sitcom fame. Uh, actor, comedian, and latterly, can we say, explorer of parental dementia as well. Um, we'll start here, leaving plenty of time for questions from you. And I really want this to be as inclusive as you can. So if there are things that are getting you going, just let me know and we will get mics to you. It's International Women's Day. We've heard so many statesmen and women, but predominantly statesmen, heralding the advent of International Women's Day. So I'm going to start with a quick fire to each of you. Does it suggest that we have come a long way to recognise International Women's Day, or does it suggest we've got a long way to go? Catherine. We have a, an incredibly long way to go. The fact that we have to have International Women's Day is recognition of the fact that the rest of the year is International Men's Day, as somebody sitting next to me once memorably said. Um, this, the, the 
problem that we have is, in fact, that everything is just crammed into this day. So, you know, we all have our books come out around this day. We get licensed to talk about what needs to be done on this day and the rest of the year. Mm. It becomes a side issue. We talk about women's issues as if they weren't things that applied to all of us, as if they were, pe- if they, as if they were not people issues. So, no, it needs to be... Um, something that we can celebrate its abolition, but we can only celebrate its abolition when we get to gender equality. And that's... Uh, no, it is going to happen. See, this is, we've already got a disagreement on the panel here. It is going to happen, <laughs> yes, and we're going to figure you out how. We publicly confronted uh, an MP who suggested we needed International Men's Day. Um, what is your take on International Women's Day, then? Um, well, to me, it's been a bit like Christmas today. I've got loads of cards and, uh, <laughs> like, it's like I keep going to all these different events and it's like seeing my family and some you don't get on with so well. And so today has been my best ever International Women's Day and bearing in mind that, you know, it was the budget today in Westminster mm. and I didn't notice the budget at all, which uh, <laughs> is probably uh, not such a good thing, but what... I mean, what Catherine is saying is absolutely right. Because it was the budget today, um, Alison McGovern, who is a colleague of mine, texted me from the chamber. She is an eminent uh, economist. She knows loads and loads about the Treasury inside out. And she was sat in the chamber and she said, it's International Women's Day and we're two and a half hours into the budget debate and not a single woman has spoken yet today. And that was... it. it, it certainly, the economy was being treated as if it was a man's issue. Mm. So there is a definite need to have International Women's Day so that people like Alison can say, use that platform to say those things. Well, I I don't want to see the abolition of International Women's Day ever. Um, I I like feminist Christmas. And... um, Somebody's agreeing with you. A man with his phone. (laughs) (laughs) Are we keeping you? (laughs) Um... (laughs) The, um, but I don't want to see it uh, abolished. I want, and I want more people than just people who go to fancy events in, in capital cities to be involved with it. I want it to be the day when women go into their boss and ask them what their gender pay gap at work is. I want it to be the day that people actually speak up. Uh, and, and that uh, when I worked in Refuge, it was brilliant because we always knew that we were going to get a government bung on the day of International Women's Day. We'd be like, yes, what money are we going to get today? Because they always have to give us something. Mm. And due they did today um, but I want it to be the day where businesses think oh fuck I've got to go come up with something to give to women in my workforce I want everyone to feel that pressure on, on like you feel like buying soap for your, your nan at Christmas I want businesses to feel like they've got to do something for women but on that day but not but a bar of soap but not a bar but we want them to feel that every day June about International Women's yeah. Day. Yeah. Do you welcome it? Does it, does it herald? You, you, have you been going around saying Happy International Women's Day? Well, I first of all start off by saying is I still consider myself a girl, so, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 18. Um, so, no, 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 I do think it's, I do think it's important, and I do think uh, over the years it has been, for me, become a really stressful day because, as Catherine says, it's the one day, and so, therefore, I must... You know, so this is my fourth event. I, you know, spoke to 300 girls in the morning and then run across the whole of London. Like, it's International Women's Day and we have to make sure everyone hears me speak. And I do think uh, the one thing that kind of worries me about International Women's Day is, again, who are the women that we are paying attention to? And I think that's something that I'd like to see kind of change in the 
next couple of years. I don't think we should ever have it abolished. I think it's quite nice to have a day yeah. when we are celebrating women's and women's equality and like things that we're kind of working towards. But it's, you know, who are we paying attention to? And very, very often, I mean, take this panel, the only woman of colour here, the only black woman, every, you know, it's, again, it's the fact that very often within feminist movements, we're only giving the platforms to certain people and that's something that I'd like to see changed. Uh, David, how do you pro approach or broach International Women's Day? I noticed Justin Trudeau posted a video where he started off by saying, Happy International Women's Day. Do you feel that is a, an obligatory way of opening your sentences today? No. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't done that. Um, I, 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 essentially, I'm slightly wondering why I'm here, except to give a sense that this Token is the man. polar opposite of a normal BBC comedy panel show. Uh, that might be why I'm here. Uh, but, uh, and also, I see myself as a boy. I don't know if you're... Because you're 18. Uh, 52. Uh, but uh, I, I'm just, I actually, I completely agree that, 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 that there is a weird thing about International Women's Day, which is that it's totally necessary, and its necessity is because we live in a, a maladjusted structure. We live in a maladjusted power structure, which seems unapparent to people still. Um, I mean, I, I was reading a book the other day uh, uh, called All Our Wrong Todays, uh, which is a book about uh, someone who comes back from a utopian culture, utopian society, uh, on a different timeline to the one that we are, breaks into our timeline, and one of the main things he, he's in fact a man, so I apologise for mansplaining, but he, one of the main things he notices is a kind of entrenched misogyny taken for the natural order of things. And I think that's what we still have... Continually, we still have this kind of incredibly entrenched all the time. You see it all the time. Versions of what gender is, uh, which is entirely power-based. It's entirely based, I think, on creating an idea of woman as lesser, not equal to men. And until that changes, and I don't see it changing, I think you do need International Women's Day. And yeah, I think you're right that when it goes is when that equality happens. But I don't know when that's going to happen. And Catherine, you took a very proactive step last year, starting the Women's Equality Party, which is a political party, which wants what at its heart? Well, politics has never worked for women. You know, we're coming up to the 100th anniversary of women getting the vote, and we're still in a parliament that has more male MPs now than there have ever been female MPs elected. It just and changed this week. It changed this week. Has it, has it, it, it equalised this week? Do you know... This is one of those well, moments. Proud of, no, 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 but it, it's one of those moments where you think, damn, because my book's gone to press. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't worry, I put it in mine as well. And I got the number wrong when I spoke about it in the media, so don't worry. Um, well, I will change that slightly <laughs> according to. So, but the, the point is, there's this huge imbalance. Um, I don't think that the mainstream parties work for women either. You need a party that is dedicated to dealing with gender equality, to focusing on gender equality, to building the intersectional space that actually looks at the issues of how different kinds of disadvantage intersect with being female and does that work and keeps the focus. See, Labour has done fantastic things in the past and there are great women in Labour now, like Jess, who I would vote for, who I would like to see leading Labour, but they mask the, the problem of the big parties. And so the reason we started the Women's Equality Party is to keep 
and maintain that focus. But we also noticed something, which is if you saw what happened when UKIP started to win votes, um, what sometimes happened was that rather than challenging UKIP's positions, the mainstream parties contorted themselves to be more like UKIP. So we also got this idea, well, what about if we prove that gender equality is a vote winner? Will they start to contort themselves to be more like us? (laughs) Strangely enough, yes, it turns out to be the case. And we've seen it now in every election that we've run. We have changed the conversation and pushed gender equality onto the agenda. And I don't know if Jess would accept that we're doing it actually to help Jess and other yeah. women MPs. But that so is you are, you are uh, the UKIP for, for women. We are. We are. <laughs> we, we are oh, they're bombing now. <laughs> we, we, are, we have taken the only good bit out of the UKIP playbook <laughs> and, we are, and we are using it for benign ends. That is something quite different. But we're doing a lot more than that. I mean, it's just, but that was just part of the inspiration so for it. Jess, then, as a Labour MP, does it matter? if Catherine's party takes women voters from Labour to her party, does that matter in an electoral sense to you? Or, or in an yes, emotional sense? Yes, of course. Of right. course it matters. That it, I mean, it would, I'd be lying if I said that, you know, yeah, I'd love to give out my votes to, like, better causes. Um, that's not how politics works. It's about trying to win as many votes as you can. And, and if... And this was always the argument about the Green Party that, you know, my dad drummed into me, a vote for the Green Party is a wasted vote because it is, it is just going to get the Tories in. But he said rain got the Tories in. He thought everything, he was very paranoid about the Tories. <laughs> Still is. Um, but um, it, of course it matters. So I think that the Women's Equality Party, when looking at where they stand candidates... Um, would have to take that into account and, and, which, and one which would we, assume they would um, because actually I mean, is, is, you don't is want that perverse... party a danger to you? I don't want to be offensive but I, I think in Birmingham Yardley I'm not sure you get that many votes but in don't, Birmingham but, Yardley but the, but the idea but of us standing against it's me you would is, be silly it's is, is yeah. silly I mean that, yeah. that Obviously, what we will do is choose our, street, our, our seats strategically. Now, we are standing against Labour right at this moment in time in Liverpool, in the Metro Mayor election. But the reason we're standing there is because there were no female candidates in all the Metro Mayor elections. There were 30 candidates, only five of them, mm-hmm. including ours as a woman. And Labour and none of the mainstream parties fielded women in seats that they could win. That tells you where politics is at the moment, and that's why we're doing it. So we have this fantastic candidate called Tabitha Morton for Metro Mayor in Liverpool. Vote Liverpool. So, June, when, when you hear this, do you think that there is you know, a strong element that a, a woman's party, political party, directs what the other parties are doing? Do you think that's how it works now? I mean, it, so you think in terms of them being there, they can then kind of push the agenda. Mm. Okay. I think the first thing I wanted to say, and I'm not trying to be the confrontational one on this panel, (laughs) although that was kind of the reputation people were saying behind, when you said, and again, I'm going to keep banging on about intersectionality and why it's important to me think about that. A hundred years ago, women got the vote. That isn't necessarily true. A hundred years ago, white women got the vote. In the US, black women didn't get the vote until after the Civil Rights Act. And, you know, you had suffragettes like civil Susan B. Anthony, and I don't want to misquote her, so I wrote it down and brought it with me. When she says, I will cut off this right arm of mine before I will ever work to demand the ballot for the Negro and not the woman. 
those are people that have fought for women's rights. And I'm not saying this to be divisive, but I'm saying this because I think it's important that we actually recognize the fact that, like you were saying, there are many intersections and the ways that in which race and class and gender and sexuality intersect is an important conversation to have. To actually answer your question now... Well, don't you stay, <laughs> stay with that one. That's absolutely fine. I, in a broader way, do you think the feminist debate is racist or is uninclusive? What, how, how far are you actually going with what you believe here? Do I think the feminist debate is racist? Do I think there are some feminists that are racist? Absolutely, yes. I will say that. You can all come for me online. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> they don't need to. They're all here. It's fine. But no, no, but because I do think, you know, within historically, when we look at feminist movements, for instance, when you had the 1913 march um, with um, Woodrow Wilson's presidency, the suffrage march, you had Ida B. Ida B. Wells, who is um, a, a journalist, a black female journalist, anti-lynching activist, very, very, very highly regarded, who wanted to march but was told by the white women she couldn't march with them because she was black. Mm. That is just the fact. Do I think that there are... Do I think right now that a lot of the movements we have, that feminism does have problems with race. It absolutely does. I remember looking at um, Donald Trump's election and thinking, okay, well, he said all these awful things about black women, about, you know, Latina people, about Mexicans, but surely him saying, oh, I grabbed her by the pussy, I'm sorry if that offends anyone. I really did think that that would be the moment that things changed in a really kind of fundamental way because I understood that while people might not necessarily about me, clear about me as a black woman, as a d disabled woman, they will, they're more likely to kind of have pity for a white woman. And, you know, the fact that the election results came out and 65% of white women voted for Trump and 92% of black women voted for Hillary Clinton... Um, sorry, 65% of white women voted for Hillary Clinton, um, just to make sure that's Would clear. only let black women vote? I mean, is, black is the assumption. I'm serious. But the thing, about, the thing about that is that when you look at the Clinton legacy and you look at the fact that you have a three strikes rule and mass incarceration and the ways in which, you know, Hillary Clinton say we need to bring back people to heal. These are not things I'm making up. These are things that were said 30, 40, 50 years ago. And the fact that they were still able to put aside all of those things and come out to support her. They did not have to support her. Black women do not have to give the vote, their votes to Clinton considering the ways that their, that presidency affected their lives and affected the lives of black people at that time. But they were saying, let's put that aside. And yet, you, you, know, you had white women putting I voted stickers on Susan B. Anthony's grave, who is a racist. You had you know, all these things that we continuously have where you continuously put marginalised women to the corner and then after the election you're all like, let's march, yay, women's march. And again, it's important, but it's like we've been telling you these things. For ages we've been saying that there is a problem here and the way that you look at you know, Latina women and queer women and disabled women and the way that you continuously sideline us is a problem. And so I'm very, very, very clear that I do not think feminism will actually achieve anything until people sit down and actually listen to marginalised women and how they feel and let them air their grievances before we can have any sort of united front because otherwise we're banging heads because there are people who are angry and fed up with the way that they have been treated for centuries and then there are other people saying well just kind of put that aside. I can't rip away my blackness and say okay you move there and right now I'm a woman because I can't mitigate those things. That is central to who I am. And so I think as feminists, we really need to you know, think about the ways in which we are excluding and work towards including more people because that way we're actually going to work towards a freedom that is beneficial to all. Just let me... Let me.
Um, let me ask you something on that then. Would, the, would, would a feminist movement or a feminist march have to be led then by a person, a, a, black, a woman of colour, or a, a black woman or a person of colour for it to be something that you felt brought everyone behind it? I don't think it necessarily has to be led by black women, but I think, again, with the Women's March, you saw that when it was going to be started out by three white women, and there was, again, a huge... Um, a, a huge thing to that because they were going to call, originally call it the Million Women's March, but there was a Million Women's March organised by black women and then again they, they changed it to the Women's March. But I think it, it doesn't have to be like, okay, well now white women all kind of take the back seat, although I have no problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make that clear. But I do think um, what we do need is to kind of make sure that we are getting as many different voices on board. I'm not mm. saying that middle-class women shouldn't talk or, you know, rich men don't have a right to talk anymore. I'm saying when you are talking, be aware of your privilege. That is all that is important. Be aware of the privilege that you have, the privilege that I have sitting on this stage. You know, I have privilege even as a black young woman who's disabled. I have privilege over certain women. Mm. And I think it's continuously working to acknowledge that and saying, oh, I'm sorry, I fucked up, rather than being like, you know, trying to absolve or create... Uh, a reason rather than just accepting I made a mistake here, I'm going to listen to you now. And I presume that's something that you, David, are acutely aware of, the position of men or a man in the sort of feminist agenda. What, What role do you think women, what role do you think men have to play in this? Well, it's complicated because I think what June's talking about in a way is the speaking over of voices that haven't been heard. And the last thing that men need to do in this debate is speak over women, which happens all the time. I mean, all the time. Um, And uh, so I think that men have to, you know, let women lead in this debate. However, it's about gender. And gender, obviously, is both genders. And the way that women are perceived stems from a power dynamic between the two genders, and therefore it's a dance, and often a toxic dance that men are taking part in, and I just think men need to be more aware of what they're doing, and also what it does to the self-image of the male gender to constantly perceive women in the way that they are perceived. I mean, something that I wanted to, to mention, it's just a bugbear of mine, is that there's this thing this week with Ember Watson uh, wearing a revealing top, and that led to a lot, a lot of discussions about what is a feminist and what isn't a feminist, but two days before, she'd been on the front cover of The Times... Uh, because she'd been at a premiere and not a particularly big premiere and she was on the front cover of the Times as there is almost every day an attractive woman, a young woman, white woman normally on the front cover of the Times and she is there to sell the Times. That's why she's there and I'd say the Times, it's every single newspaper now and every single media image and almost every single, at a time when we see proliferating images, proliferating screens, the, what, what, unfortunately, the, the mainstream media, which is a term I hate because Donald Trump uses it, but the mainstream media is absolutely selling itself now in a corporate terms on the back of a particular stereotypical gendered idea of what, of what women are and what women should look like. And that... People talk about the objectification of women in pornography, which obviously goes on, but 
that tends to mean that people don't notice the enormous objectification of women all the time in every, everywhere you look, on the television, on the cinema, on women's magazines, in men's magazines, everywhere you look, we are faced with a particular one-dimensional idea of women that is designed to sell you something. And I would say for men, what that does is create an idea, a very narrow, just as that creates a very narrow idea of the female gender, of the male gender, For seven years, I was patron of something called Calm, which was a charity designed to try and stop young men from killing themselves. Some of you may know this, but the greatest killer of young men, of men under 40, in Britain uh, is suicide. Uh, And that is because young men tend to stick particularly working-class men who haven't been given the advantages, perhaps, that uh, middle-class men have been given, uh, where they're able to find ways of expressing themselves or pay for therapy or whatever, uh, they are not able to express what it is that has led them into depression, but what it is a lot of the time is an idea of what it is to be a man uh, and how they failed in that regard. And that, I think, really lies on the same spectrum as this objectification of women. Mm. To you two, when... Catherine or Jess, when you hear June uh, with a very tangible grievance, uh, a movement that, you know, she's expressed much better than I have, she wants to be part of but has been left behind, right? What, how does that speak to, as it were, the, you know, the feminism that you're pioneering? What, what has gone well, on Well, that's there? precisely why I was talking about the need to create a space that is consciously intersectional and works on those things and also that creates platforms for... And do you think that the WEP does that? The WEP... Sorry, I'm I'm pausing. No, I know, I'm pausing because we don't call it the WEP (laughs) and you just got me to do that. We call it WE (laughs) because WE is this lovely inclusive acronym. Um, But... um, We work very hard to do that. And, I mean, just even from the very beginning, one of the reasons that when Sandy and I got together and decided to give it a go, that we did not think that we would lead this party. And, indeed, I'm on a platform now, but most of the time I'm not the person going out and being on the platform for the party because the party is not a platform for us. It is to create platforms and this space that is needed to have those discussions, to bring those voices through and to focus on exactly those sorts of issues. But it doesn't mean um, that that's an easy thing to do at all. Um, And not least because there is a great deal of very understandable um, suspicion sometimes on the part of of people in different marginalised groups who have traditionally been ridden over and had their voices blotted out. So the reason I I went back to the party question is because I started by asking, do laws need to change Mm -hmm. or does culture change which drives laws? How do you... How would you approach this in terms of, you know, you see what your goals are, Mm -hmm. right? You know what you want to change. How does that happen? I think both cultures and laws need to exist. I think for me, especially as someone who I grew up in Nigeria, I spent the kind of first 10 years of my life there. And that was a country where even if, you know, even if in my house we had certain beliefs or people I knew had certain things about women and their place in society, the law didn't always reflect that. And it could be a real barrier knowing that even if the people around you wanted that change to happen there weren't actually laws in place to enable that to happen so I think there's a whole thing about culture and that um, cultures have to change I think ultimately even if there are laws and people 
don't fundamentally accept that, you know, these things are intolerable, misogyny is intolerable, you know, racism is intolerable, etc., etc., then it can be really hard to even have a world where people are kind of fighting for these mm. issues. But I also think if you were then to have a world where everyone agreed, but there were no actual laws in place, it would make it really hard to make sure that there was some form of justice. I mean, this is... You started, Dave, by saying that there was something... I forgot your phrase, but there was something so systemic that people didn't almost recognise that yeah. it was the norm. Yeah. So how, I'm wondering how much of the world you think is driven by women's acceptance of a norm which you don't think should be there. I mean, what are the areas where you think women are, are too accepting of something that, you know, is blindingly obvious in your eyes that, where you have a privilege? Um, well, I mean, I, I, I think... You know, Junior's absolutely right. There's a whole series of voices. Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of what is Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before bring the arts home with marquee tv the events calendar is filling up here at intelligence squared and to create each one we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and on-stage talent but behind the scenes there's also a producer a production team and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see. No hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. I denote the way that power and privilege is doled out in our society. But I think, I think for myself... Uh, and I speak as, you know, as a Jew, so I'm aware that there's all sorts of ways in which race and religion uh, create structures that you can't see immediately, and then you realise that you're being discriminated against or whatever. But I would say the base one is gender. I think the base way in which power uh, exists in our culture and is often not seen as existing is gender. And I would say the way it exists more than anywhere else uh, and obviously race exists like this as well, but I think it's gender more, is by people thinking, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Uh, that there, there remains, I think... G- give uh, us an example, because that's, that's so interesting to hear. What, what, give me a tangible sense of where that has happened. Well, I, well, I mean, it, it exists in the way that, 
you know, I don't know the statistics, like Catherine will know the statistics, but there are still... Well, it exists in millions of ways. So, for yeah. example, it is obvious that a woman is the one who has to take the time off work to have a child. It is just obvious, and people don't want to argue against that because it's as if, you know, we're arguing against maternal love. Yeah. And it, there's all sorts of things, assumptions that happen to us every single day that are entirely because of yeah. our gender. But if I was going to actually, now that that's absolutely right, but if I was going to put one... Uh, example from recent times, it is the fact that Donald Trump and not Hillary Clinton is president of the United States, right? Because, I mean, it is... I I didn't know that much about what was going on, but I did watch and think, okay, so he is, uh, as far as I can make out, he's a sexual assaulter, he's uh, a man who won't publish his tax returns, he's a bully, he's a narcissist, he seems to be in the pocket of Putin. She's done some emails, right? (laughs) And as far as I can make out, there was genuinely, but not perceived as such by an enormous amount of American voters, a sense that there was something shrill, uh, all the words that you imagine that people are applying to a woman who might be in power, something not quite right, something uncomfortable, a nasty woman, as Trump put it about the sheer fact that this was a woman who might be in power. Just just on that, I mean, the research is really interesting because when she was Secretary of State, she was quite popular, Mm. but that's because she was in position. The moment that we see a woman seeking power, and I say we because, as June points out, white women also voted for Trump, we are socialised to find that in some way um, a social anti-social, bad, not womanly, and penalise women for that. And, and it is something that came into play with, with oh, Hillary I want Clinton. to come right back to that point, but just because there was this applause there, just put up your hand in the audience if you think... Uh, yeah, lights up if we can. Just so we can. Get a sense. Who, who, would say, who thinks here that, that Donald Trump won the presidency because he was a man? What would you say? What would you say that is... More than half? Yeah. yeah. More than half. I'd, Let I'd me ask it the other way. Who half. thinks that Hillary Clinton lost the election because she was, is a woman? It's, it's the same question. It is the same question. It's sort of the same question. I went with it. <laughs> <laughs> Madeleine Albright was the one that said during the election campaign... Uh, and, and actually, I think repeated a phrase that she'd used years earlier, there's a special circle of hell for women that don't vote for women. From what you've just said, I mean, do you, think that, do you think that applied? Do you think that was taken seriously or do you think she sounded jaded, out of touch? How do you read that? Is it important for women to back women for political office? Uh, I think that women not supporting other women are um, playing into the hands of a, playing into a self-perpetuating system, I think women should support other women. Oh, but it doesn't mean... No, but I'm not saying that you, that you vote for a woman because she is... I wouldn't she, vote for I mean, Theresa May oh, who gave me all the tea in China. I was just going to say... I'd literally rather almost anyone have said Donald Trump. But what you have to do is assume that women coming into politics, women seeking power, are at a disadvantage. So you have to actually examine why you're responding to them. But you said you wouldn't wouldn't vote for... I absolutely disagree with the idea that um, I have to vote 
or you know that I have to support women because we're women and it's feminism and yay. Would you vote for but a black woman? Not. Would you feel the imperative to? No, no, not <laughs> absolutely at all. not. She doesn't just because you're and, and again, like I know you said, not because she's a woman, but well, I think often when I look at. Often when we talk about feminism, you see this online a lot. You're like, oh, you know, we have to support other women, and like, yeah, and it's important that we do support other women. But I'm also not blind, like, and I'm not stupid, and I'm going to support you with a brain on. And if exactly, there are, that's, you know, that's and if the best phrase, support uh, support people with the brain on. But, but you know, but that, that, that means seeing the disadvantage. All right was saying was within the party structure. There was a special place, because it was during the primaries, and it was about women in the party supporting a woman over uh, not not general voters. Just it saying, was oh, just between for Hillary and Bernie, wasn't it? And yeah. I think that whilst I agree, I wouldn't vote for Theresa May. I wouldn't support somebody who was crap who was a woman if they were up against a really brilliant man who was going to be good for women. Yeah. I would never do that. But I do think that within institutional systems, and it goes back to the argument about whether you need a law or a culture change, I actually think we need structural solutions to structural problems, and that means laws, usually. And I would say, in a party sense, um, as somebody from a political party that um, has strange structures, that you have... um, I still don't understand half of them. Uh, Those acronyms, they're lost on me. Um, But they... You have to. I, I would definitely say in the Labour Party, I would. I would. If two people were were similarly good, I then would I definitely support the woman. Yeah, same. I would. If there yeah. were two candidates that on paper were the same, like you know, had the same beliefs, that I would. But if, if you know, you, for me, it's again like if there's a woman running for something and I don't agree with what she says, or you know, that's going to harm me. I'm not going to agree, agree. Absolutely agree. But what we need, we do. But also, need, feminism need... gives you that freedom, and I think that's the thing it's... we also need to have: is that feminism should allow women to, you know, think have of the, the women are a bit to... crap sometimes. But if, if, <laughs> but if we, the American, but we, but... if the American population voted for Donald Trump, uh, on, on your understanding, because he's a man? No, I don't. I don't think he just. He just they don't. They just voted him because he's a man. They voted for him because a third of the American population are stupid. But, uh, <laughs> but what I think there was a gendered element to it, and quite a strong gendered element to it, in the sense that, you know, he's so absurdly... He's like a cartoon of a boorish, you know, American rich white man. And also she uh, fitted into a particularly easily dismissed by a misogynistic culture type of woman, i.e. she was older, you know, she had been traduced by her husband. That, that came into play. That became like, you know, how can we trust her when she was in a marriage, which is obviously... It ended up being her fault somewhere It became her line, fault. But my right. point is that all sorts of gender sort of qualities and gender balances and gender imbalances were brought into play deliberately a lot of the time and then sometimes unconsciously, yeah. I, I think. I think I, I think I disagree that America... I mean, that Americans voted for Trump because he was a man. I think a lot, for me, it was a lot more to do with around race. I really do think that was the key issue there. Because if you look at American history, any time we've taken five steps forward, we take a hundred steps back. You know, you have, you know, slavery, construction. I'm not really going to go into all of this. I also can't kind of... It's a long timeline. But I think the point is, you had a black man in the White House. You had a black woman in the White House. You had a black first family. And that really pissed off a lot of Americans. And I think that was simply to do with... A lot of it was around, you know, was around race. Yeah. And obviously, gender played into it. But I do think, again, we've kind of seen this creeping 
everyone does this creeping fascism. I hate to use these phrases. June, I'm going I'm to pull us back slightly against all my uh, natural instincts, pull us back from American politics for a little bit and just sort of stick to some of the, the other, the sort of feminist issues that we were raising. And the one that you brought up, Jess, was um, childcare and parental rights. Now, I'm wondering if you think the simplest solution, which we're just now starting to sort of inject into, is this absolutely split period of maternity, paternity, you know, parental leave now. Would that, do you think that would be society correcting something major and economic? Yes, I think that one of the single biggest things that we could do for women in this country, and it would affect all women, um, regardless of their class or race um, or disabilities, is that if we made gave men, and people say I hate men, um, so I'm now about to stick up for them. I think men should be given exactly the same paternity rights as women are given maternity rights. Um, because, A, my husband is just such a better father than I am a mother. I mean, he like knows the kids' <laughs> shoe sizes and everything. Uh, and is that, that something, is that a stuff. conversation you... Do you yeah. have with Jeremy Corbyn? Is that we, um, yes. Well, I, I, we definitely have a conversation about um, universal childcare, um, and um, David Lammy is really, really, really big on the whole fatherhood uh, thing. So we're, we're just starting to sort of try and get it through. But I, we, I have requested it of the government twice, and the reason I do it is not just because I, I do actually love men, not hate them, um, is because it would it would stop a woman when she was sat in front of a a panel of people being a risk to an employer because a man would be a risk and a man would be a risk for the whole of his life because as Des O'Connor has taught us <laughs> 75 you can have a baby when you're 100 um, so only older women wouldn't get discriminated against and that is fine because they are having a really rough deal older women so let's let them have that for the, the team we've taken their pensions but also like you know flexible working hours and like co-sharing job sharing I think all of those things are important in the ways that we actually allow women to to raise families and work. Because the culture, it, that law change would change the culture. It would stop us thinking that it's a woman's job Which to, to has, raise her has, children. It has in the and Nordic countries actually made already a big difference, but there is a key point to it, which is that you have to have a use it, a use it or lose it portion for men so that you actually make so this you ha They have to. They, they, they basically, well, they, can, they have to take it or they lose it. And the other point, of course, is that because there's a gender pay gap, you have to invest enough in this scheme that you pay sufficiently for men to be able to take time off work because you have a gender pay gap, which means that men tend to earn more than women. So and therefore they say, oh, we can't afford to take time off work. The single reason that most women... I didn't choose to take the time off. My husband has not learnt to lactate, which I think is, you know, poor Shocking. on his part. Poor but um, the single, it was nothing to do with the fact that I could produce milk. The reason I took time off work when I had my children was because my husband earned more than me. And yeah. I didn't care about... It wasn't like, I, oh, it would be so a child to be away from them it was it was because we needed to pay the rent yeah. and I think that families sit down and think oh well, you know you earn more than me so it's probably better if you go back to work because you know I, I, we can't live on my income and we won't change that until we make basically I want them to suffer it's like I, I think equality will be here when there are as many mediocre um, women in parliament yes. as there are men in parliament mm. And I feel the same way about as when men are having to struggle with having to negotiate their terms at work the way that women have to, then I'll be happy. 
I've just realised something really curious about this panel, which is that David is literally never going to inter- intervene or <laughs> enter the conversation until I go up no and sort point. of prod him with my biro. Um, but do feel that you can, because otherwise I will sort of keep feeling that I'm you're, not going to. you're the limb. Um, do you... That's the only interruption I'm doing. <laughs> just me. Yeah. Do you, but do you think this is something that men would take? Do you think it's something that they want? And well, do you pater- think it is an, an, an injustice? Well, the same level of paternity rights. Not just a couple of weeks off when the baby's born, but do you think men are yearning to be more involved with their kids and their families and, you know, that whole period of bringing up children well, actually, than they yeah, are? I, actually, I do. I think, I, I, I mean, one of the things... I mean, you mentioned I'm doing a, a show about my, my family at the moment and I did a, a film about my dad. And I don't know if anyone saw that film about my dad and it was mainly about the fact that he has a particular type of dementia, but it was also, I think, about men and family um, and about uh, the fact that I'd grown up with a very, very uh, sort of angry, uh, absent a lot of the time, at work most of the time, dad. And what I've found, and obviously this is just my experience and it may not be the experience of lots of other men, uh, but is that the uh, generational thing has not carried on that in a kind of cycle of abuse. What I've felt uh, and what I see in most of the men that I know, and again, I'm in a privileged situation, I know that, but is that they've reacted to the coldness and absence and lack of sort of parenting that they've seen from their fathers with really, really wanting to be in touch with their kids as much as possible. And I mean, I, I do want that. I just do. I know I want to spend as much as, as time as I can with them. And that's an emotional and psychological shift as well as a cultural and political one. But I do think it's really important. I think it will gradually change everything. Also, if you have nine months, if I had nine months off, then my husband had nine months off. That's 18 months I don't have to pay childcare. That's 18 months that the taxpayer isn't going to have to fund the childcare. It would make much more sense mm. to have that. Yeah. Completely improves productivity. You know, it's, it, this totally. is one of the things about this discussion that we're having is that the lack of gender equality is actually an own goal. You know, you, you want it's to... It's terrible for the economy. It's terrible for the economy. Yeah. One of the, the biggest, the easiest, fastest route to growth is to make progress towards gender equality. Mm. So why the hell are we not doing it? And, Juno, I wonder how you come into this. You know, you're 18. Do you look at our generation and think, what on earth have you been doing? Why are you still <laughs> having this chat, you know? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I'm lost for words. Um, Not for long. <laughs> yes, I guess. I guess it's we haven't. Moved. I mean, you know, if we look now, and it's a dangerous thing to do to look at student campus behaviour, but you know, what we see is the kind of no platforming, the I don't want to be offended, I don't want this, I don't want those speakers, all the rest of it, rather than the sort of, you know, the sort of activism that says, you know, go out and do, go out and, and do this and change this. I wonder whether you think feminism. Does it feel done to you? Does it feel lame to you? Does it feel... Absolutely not done. <laughs> and also not lame. It's the coolest thing. So, like, <laughs> it is the... It is the it is, it is really cool, and I think it's important. But I, I think change is incremental, and it, ch- it takes time. And I think what's important is that we don't stop having these conversations, actually. I think it, it can feel really boring to continuously talk about, you know, the need for childcare, the need for, you know, better maternal pay, paternity leave, you know, women on boards, like, all of these issues that we're constantly talking about. But I think the minute we stop talking about them, then that's when I'm actually worried as, like, a young woman growing up in this world. When I was your age, though, June, those things didn't exist. 
My son was the first kid to ever get free childcare in this country. He was in the first ever year. So whilst things do change really, really, like it's like painfully slow. But it, it, in my lifetime, it has changed. Just- Let's get some questions. Um, you can take us in any of the directions we've been and, and plenty more that you um, prefer. So I will, yes, there's a hand there. If we can just get a mic down there. There's a purple hand waving here, if we can get a mic there. As it, as it were, and there's one that's actually waving, and I love a wave. Um, that's it. If you've got one more mic just there. Like Catherine, I'm both American and British, and I'm fascinated at how allergic we are in this country to affirmative action. And if you look at how fantastic affirmative action was in North America, especially for um, civil rights, and I'm interested in the panel's perspective on, is it time for us to be a bit more activist? Great. Thank you very much. Nice to Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, in Sydney, uh, film festival Chopfest, they anonymized their entrances this year, and the female directors went from five percent up to fifty percent. <laughs> and I would love to see us force this endless chat where nothing actually happens to anonymizing CVs, turn it into an orchestra audition where you come on stage behind a screen and they don't know what race you are or what gender you are. And I think we could force companies and in all sorts of different ways. Uh, to get women into the room. Great. That's great. Thank you very much. Um, uh, let's work backwards then on that one. An anonymous CV, does that, uh, does that get round sexism or does it just kind of hide underneath it? I mean, does it... Well, you couldn't have it in lots of jobs because I... some of them, I mean, where I worked, I had to know whether you were a woman or not. So the, it would be difficult. But there is, there is a, the government is about to do it. The government is about to anonymise all CVs because of a piece of research done into Muslim women being discriminated against. So it's about to go through Parliament. I, I think it's a really good idea. Mm. I you think have, it seems like a really good idea. But it doesn't, con- it doesn't confront a problem, right? No, no, it no, just but, sort of covers it up. To, no. Well, not necessarily. It, it, helps, it helps to get people in. You know, yeah. the, another question was about affirmative action. What you're actually trying to do is find mechanisms to make change, but in order to anchor that change, you then have to attack the un- underlying problem, the underlying bias. You have to make unconscious bias, you have to actually make people conscious of that bias and train them out Can I just say, I, was a, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for affirmative action, so the party yeah. I am from is totally behind affirmative action and has been since 1992, that they insist that 50% of all of their seats have to have women as the candidates, and it's the only reason that we're anywhere near the why we got over that number this week. Why 50, Jess? Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said to us on Newsnight last week... Go 60, week, I mean, I'm Well, she that. said... I'll be happy when all nine Supreme Court judges are women because they've had nine men for the last, you know, No, I mean, years. I'm what? totally up for that, but I would also be up for affirmative action in every single government policy that we have. Every single penny in the budget today, I want to know exactly what is yeah. being taken from women and what is being spent on women because all of the spending on roads, on rail, on on bloody cables that go in the ground and all this stuff that's meant to make us productive, 1% of those jobs will go to women and the government shouldn't be allowed to spend that money unless 50% of the taxpayers are being represented. Jess Jess is absolutely right. 
Um, affirmative, affirmative action is absolutely essential all the way through. Um, where I would think the only difference is, is that I, I am absolutely convinced that we need to have a separate party that holds the feet to the fire, that has this. We have had this in every single aspect of our policy right from the beginning, and we don't lose focus so, on it because, because it is the priority. Okay, let's get some more questions in. We've got 10 more minutes. Yes, first hand there. Oh, I can't keep looking at the front. Red top there, please. Man there. Man. Yes. Um, and you've got a mic. I'm just going to trust you, number three. Choose somebody great. Right, where did we start? Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm Try and just keep them as brief as you can. Okay. <laughs> no, um, I know you haven't even started, but um, I'm just saying that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm 19 and I'm, um, I'm disabled and I'm LGBT. And I think you've got to... Talking about intersectionality is so important, but also just asking who'd be willing to do the day off... Okay, I might be, I might have disadvantages in other places, but I'm a student. I don't have kids to look after, so I think not just intersectionality, but inclusivity. Oh, and yes. kind of, my my question is, um, how do you, you know, we need to bear in mind the fact that other people have different. You know, I'm a feminist and it's very important to me, but if I'm going to have more of an issue if something affects me and my disability. That's mm. got to come first. Mm. And I think kind of take into consideration that there are so many different things that affect it and making intersectionality more of something that... And, and, and inclusivity, something that more people are more aware of because, you know, I am, I'm white and, I'm, you know, and I can get, a, you know, a, get away with not look, looking like I've got a disability because it's a hidden disability and sexuality is not an obvious thing. But, you know, it's something that we've got to look further into. And I just kind of wanted to ask, how can we make that something that people are more conscious of just generally, you know, not just in Parliament, but day to day and in the workplace and, and so on? OK, thank you very much. Let's come back to that one. Number, uh, number. I'm going to say red jumper. Yeah, red dress. Thank you. Uh, I'm 19 too, and I basically oh, wanted to ask the same question, which was, I come from an incredibly privileged background, but how do I pass the mic? And June, I wanted to ask yeah. you that. Like, how do I, how do I go about that? Great. She'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, who did we have next? You, sir, I think. Yes. Have you got the mic there? He's just, he's just coming up to you now. This gentleman here with his hand. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I work in an all-boys school, and we have an active feminist society, which oh, I'm very proud of. Hear. And they're, um, they're, they're here, here this evening, not, not organised by me. Um, they organised it for us. Um, I think they struggle sometimes with being male feminists, and they um, provoke a, a, a reaction. My question is, is it difficult to be a male feminist? Hmm. Uh, do you want, you, want, you want to ask the man, presumably, on the panel, do you? Or... Let's, we'll, we'll work that one out. And number three, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask Jess about, and Catherine, I guess, about Parliament specifically and mm. access for women in Parliament. And something stuck out for me that happened probably a year ago with one of your colleagues, Tulip Sadiq, mm, who, heavily pregnant, pregnant in um, the chamber, left to eat some food and was really heavily castigated when she came back. And I think the words that they used towards her were you're breaking parliamentary protocol and you're bringing down womankind by doing it, by suggesting that pregnant women can't sit for three hours and not eat. And being pregnant with my first child, I know that it's quite hard to sit for three hours and not eat. And I just wondered... Um, it seems to me that that's a really off-putting thing to say to a young pregnant woman, pregnant with her first child in Parliament. And what, what changes are, are possible to make Parliament accessible for, right. for women? Great. Okay, let's start with, with that one, working backwards then. I mean, you know, 
a sort of good strong f off probably should do it. But well, does that, it that was actually a woman who the... said it to Tulip? It was yeah. a woman who had been pregnant in the house and had never had. Uh, and, and I think that this is that there is a definite difference between the sort of the idea of I suppose your Sarah Palin's versus your Hillary Clinton's, your Theresa May's versus your Harriet Harman's, <laughs> is that that Tory women in the UK they are much more willing to appease their male colleagues and to and to try and fit into a world. So w- when she, Tulip was being told that, she was being told it like, I was pregnant and I didn't want to let women kind down by s- asking for special treatment. Whereas people like me say, you should give me special treatment. There are Tory women here, you can disagree with that if you want. Well, I'm a, and, and we, Tory women will do this thing where they go, well, it's not so much that I'm a feminist, I'm more of an equalist. Um, because because it's constantly trying to appease something and difficult women are much harder to elect and much much harder which Hillary Clinton found out to her to to everybody's sorrow but the thing that needs to change in parliament is that there's a number of things we 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 should work better hours the the hours are ridiculous especially for people with families why don't we start work and until 11 o'clock and then work until eight at night on just a basic day and that's if nothing exceptional happens and obviously exceptional things happen every single day Mm. um so and we're we're often there till midnight for no reason whatsoever and you know you're going imagine you're going to miss your child's parents evening because you're being demanded to stay there to lose a vote and one and one of the things that people don't see is how incredibly male parliament is behind the scenes so you see the scenes in the house of commons and you can see how few women there are compared to men but all the back rooms are full of men we ran this campaign to map sexual harassment and assaults in the UK, and people wrote a postcode on their hand and took a picture of their hand, and it was extraordinary how many people had the postcode for the Palace of Westminster on there. And yet, to me, who worked in there as a journalist, it Mm. wasn't extraordinary Mm. at all, Mm. because it is actually endemic in that place, and it is part of that culture. Right. Um, Let's go and... Just, I think I might put this one in your hands, David. Um, as a male feminist, presumably you call yourself a male feminist, you don't have a problem with that. What, what message would you send out to... Um, well, I understand boys? that... I understand that uh, it's really brilliant that there is a feminist club at your boys' Yeah, It's absolutely fantastic. Um, but I understand your point that it might sometimes feel difficult to identify for young men or any man as that because there are a lot of twats around who will make fun of you <laughs> for that. You know, it's exactly the sort of thing Piers Morgan will tweet annoyingly and unfunnily about if you call yourself a male feminist. Uh, I mean, it's partly just the... It's a slightly weird phrase. I mean, I, interesting enough, that point about Tory women, uh, I think it's probably right, actually, as far as Theresa May, whatever goes. But I think one reason why I'm a feminist, actually, is that as I've grown older... Most political models, i.e. being left-wing or right-wing, whatever, just, I, they just don't fit for me anymore. I can no longer impose a political model uh, on, on life. I can no longer say, I am left-wing, so therefore I think this about this subject and this subject and whatever. And about the only thing that across the board, I think, well, this is clearly, there are inequities here, it is wrong that this exists, that it should be changed, is gender. I mean, it's just like, it just seems obvious to me that gender inequality exists, that there is, as I said earlier, a whole raft of ways in which people have bought into, without realising it, uh, power. So I'll give you a very quick example, going back to American politics briefly. There was a brief moment when Hillary Clinton was choosing who was going to be her vice 
president and her running mate, where it was floated that that might be a woman. And that was considered to be utterly ridiculous, right? The idea that you could have the same gender as both president and vice president, well, that would be ridiculous, obviously, if they were both women. And honestly, she would have no chance. I mean, literally, she would have had no chance. And that that is so ridiculous and so, as you said, endemic, that there is something wrong with the way that we consider power and how we ascribe power, that I just think, well, as someone who believes that I have some ability to have insight into the world, I have to be a feminist. Well, and the fight for gender equality does not... The fight for gender equality does not belong just to one part of the political spectrum. Um, One of the the problems with um, the left sometimes has been that in an attempt to solve all inequalities, um, women just get sent to the back of the queue. Um, which is, you know, we were talking about that problem of virtue on the left, of assuming that because people say the right things or even, like, think the right things, that they'll do the right things. Not true, but that's the other thing, is this notion that you can solve, you know, you have to kind of... But also I think that virtuous thing with the left shades into machismo. I think that yeah. there's a, there's, because they're all think of themselves, even when they're old, as like rebellious and kind of charged with testosterone and fighting the good fight and all that stuff, I think then it's, it's macho and it's very over male, I think. I'm gonna, we're running out of time, but I'm going to let June um, finish us off by talking to uh, the young woman who described herself as a privileged white feminist who wants to pass the mic. What would you say? Pass the mic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 no, I think we make it a lot harder. We make it a lot harder for ourselves, like, what can I actually do? Uh, you know, look for women who are, you know, are facing all these, you know, having, you know, visible or invisible, invisible barriers in their life and literally be like, how can I help you? I think we don't have to have grand acts of feminism. A lot of the time, you know, I spend a lot of today talking directly to schoolgirls and saying, oh, I've done this and I've done that. And one of them actually said to me, she said, oh, but, you know, that's a lot. Like, how have you managed to do that? And I said, look, I didn't start campaigning today. It's been five years. And I know I'm 18, but I've been doing this since I was, like, properly since I was 13. And it's gradual and it's little things. I started off in my school talking about these issues to my friends. And then, you know, two, three years down, I was at the UN, but I didn't wake up at the UN. It didn't work work like that. But I think it's it's literally that. Go out into your local communities and find these support groups. Go out, give your time, volunteer. If you have money, give money to groups. Look at groups that typically don't have access to these things. There's a really great site in the US called Together List um, because often, you know, might give money to Planned Parenthood, might give money to really huge organizations, but there are small organizations working directly with queer women, with disabled women, with black women, that you can give your money, your time, your resources to. And I think that um, lovely guy you're saying about um, how we can make people more aware about intersectionality, and that is to force it into discussion. One of the things that I did when I came on this this stage, and one of the first things I said is, I'm the only black woman here. It's a fact. And that might make you uncomfortable, but I'm not interested. I'm stating a fact. And I think it's, it's that. It's you have to make these things that feel uncomfortable to us to become the norm. And I always say, 100 years ago, what we considered to be a terrorist was a, you know, a woman dem- demanding the vote. And now the idea that women in Britain don't have the vote would blow all of our minds. So again, it's, you know, you have the power to make what is abnormal the norm. So use that power, whether it's in your workplace, at home, within your family, to force that change. And if we collectively do that, then we'll be able to galvanise and have kind of incremental change around the world. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you all for coming. We're going to draw it to a close, though. We've all got the uh, kids to put to bed. Joke. Well, sort of, you know. Um, but thank you to this amazing panel and to all of you for coming. And do come to our next ones. Thank you all very much indeed. <laughs> <laughs>